When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Sometimes it's the normal, sometimes it's the abnormal, and sometimes it's the paranormal, but it's always beyond reality. Welcome to the program, everyone. We kick off another week here. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. And tonight we have a very, very special program. We're going to be talking with Melissa Tittle tonight. Melissa is the director of original content for the Gaia streaming service, and she's produced a documentary called Unearthing Nazca, The Complete Story. This documentary and our discussion tonight is about the mysterious mummies that were unearthed in Nazca, Peru, not long ago. This is a controversial topic. There's a lot of controversy surrounding these mummies, but Melissa put a team together from Gaia, and they went down with film crew in hand, and they did some research, and they did some question asking, and they've um, they've done a lot of work and put together this film, which I believe uh, debuted, I'll say tonight, although it was, it was the seventh, even though we've moved into the eighth year, and... Um, uh, we're going to talk about it tonight. It's going to be a very fascinating discussion. We'll take your calls at the in the second hour of the program at 844-687-7669. Slick, can you give me a little more volume? I know. Every week it has to go up a little more. I don't know what it's saying about me. Yeah. A little more. That's perfect. Thank you, sir. Um, let's see. What do we have to do before we go to break? Uh, just to remind you to uh, check out Scaricon.com. That event is coming up very, very quickly. And if you're a fan of pop culture, particularly horror films, in this Halloween season, it's a great way to spend a weekend. It's in Rochester, New York, October 18th through the 20th. Just go to Scaracon.com. You'll see a lot of information there about all the celebrities that will be attending, the film premieres that will be happening, the parties that will be uh, going on Friday and Saturday night. And um, what else? We have? Oh, great panel discussions. Our, our schedule of panel discussions for this particular show, is the best we've had in 10 years. It's really quite incredible. Uh, I, I My hat's off to, uh, there's a podcast group called Three Fat Nerds. Yes, that's their name. You should check them out. And they uh, took on the task of putting together a lot of the panels for Scaricon. And uh, they did a great job. So uh, my hat's off to them. Thank you for all that work. Uh, but go to Scaricon.com. You'll see all that stuff. And finally, the one thing I didn't mention is there are going to be a number of really great vendors there. If you're looking for something unique, particularly in this Halloween season, or you're a collector and you're looking for some collectible stuff, or you want to buy some Blu-rays or DVDs of your favorite uh, films, this is the place to go. Again, it's Scaricon. It's October 18th through the 20th in Rochester, New York. It's at the Rochester Riverside Hotel. There are um, rooms available there at a special discounted rate. Or if you just plan on spending the day, you don't need a room, that's fine too. Just check it out, scaricon.com. All right, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll bring in our guest. Again, tonight we're talking with Melissa Tittle, and we're talking about the Nazca Mummies on Beyond Reality Radio. Look out, Rochester. Scaricon is coming for you. The Northeast's leading fan convention for all things pop culture is celebrating its ninth year at the Rochester Riverside Hotel, October 18th through the 20th. Scaricon brings an amazing group of celebrities, panel discussions, film screenings, great vendors, and amazing parties. It's a weekend of fun from start to finish, and it's family-friendly. For more information, visit Scaricon.com and check us out on Facebook. Use the promo code BRR at checkout to save 20% on your admission. That's Scaricon.com, October 18th through the 20th in Rochester, New York. Welcome back to the program. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, JV. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you to all the radio stations carrying the show around the country as well. And we appreciate you listening and or watching, whether you're watching on the YouTube stream or you listen as a downloadable podcast later. That's fine, too. We appreciate you being part of being part of our audience. Um, we will take your phone calls later in the show at 844-687-7669. If you have questions about tonight's topic, we'll be talking about the Nazca Mummies. Our guest tonight, Melissa Tittle, is the director of original content for the Gaia streaming service. She's produced this documentary called Unearthing Nazca, the complete story, which is about these mummies. Melissa, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. Pleasure to have you here tonight. 
Hi. Nice to be here. <laughs> um, you are a filmmaker. Uh, you've been actually in front of and behind the camera. You've written, you've mm-hmm. produced, you've done all of that. Plus, you have a real sincere interest and a passion in some of these uh, strange, unusual topics, like the one we're going to be talking about tonight. Which of those two things came first? Um, the filmmaker part or the, the job inter- or the strange stuff? Right. Which of that? Which of those came first? Oh, man, that's a hard one. Um, I think I've just always been a weird kid. I just love, um, I just love the supernatural. Uh, I was always intrigued by stories that people couldn't really find an answer for. Um, and so uh, when I got into actually being able to tell stories, those are the things that I gravitated towards. And then, of course, I just literally fell into a rabbit hole with, like, covering all of this stuff. <laughs> well, at one point, uh, you spent a number of seasons working on the television show Ancient Aliens, didn't you? Mm-hmm. First five seasons. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Um, that experience was um, very interesting. I, I, You know, like I said, I was always kind of into this stuff, but... But that was the first time that I got paid to go beyond the normal research that I had done before. And um, what was really interesting about that show, that it was the first time on mainstream television that they were allowing us to kind of show that kind of stuff. I mean, we would mask it in this show, like the title is called Ancient Aliens. So even if we were you know, calling, uh, you know, Jesus an alien, it, it, it just seemed like a ridiculous show. So people, people kind of just went along with this charade, but, but we were really bringing up real research and, and real issues because people couldn't explain some of the supernatural stuff that was in ancient texts. And, uh, we were trying to explain it. And I thought they did a really good job at that period of time for the first five years that we worked on that. Um, trying to explain that to, to the mainstream. And it was the first show that, that really that really did that. Do you think there's been a change in attitude, uh, particularly in, in the appetite of the public for this type of information and maybe even this type of discussion? Oh, definitely. The last 10 years, it has ramped up. Like it used to be there was a couple alien movies, there was a couple shows on TV kind of, talking about this stuff, but now it's, it's as if, you know, CNN is even using the words, you know, government conspiracy. Uh, it's not, it like everything that is, that used to be super weird is now uh, mainstream. That's what it feels like. It really does. And, and sometimes I, I think that uh, reality television has a lot to do uh, to, to be able to take a lot of the credit for this because it seems to have taken real people, put them in real situations and uh, shown other people that it's OK to be thinking about these things and talking about these things and in some cases mm-hmm. experiencing these things. Yeah, you mean a lot of the like paranormal type shows? Is that what you're yeah, whether, referring to? Yeah, or? whether it's ghost hunting type shows or it's even UFO hunting or Bigfoot. I mean, they've, mm-hmm. they've, they've done it all. So I think that has put it right into the living room, whereas previously may have, it may have been more like, like a radio show like this, whereas it was where you'd have to go for it. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think, you know, even if people say to someone, oh, that's ridiculous, Bigfoot isn't real, the fact that they're talking about it and it's becoming part of their conversation, it's already real. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what, even, even if they're saying it's not real, it's already made it into everyday conversation. So, tell, um, yeah, tell us, it, tell I, us, I, a little, I, go ahead, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, tell, um, no I was just going to say that, that I think, um, People, people want to believe, and I think what's happening right now in our culture across the world is everyone's trying to find truth. You know, what is the truth behind, you know, this story or this presidential candidate or this thing? Um, and I think uh, the more educated we become, we realize that everything is just a fractured truth. Like, there is truth in everything that we're saying, but that doesn't mean it matches with your truth. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Do you think we've become um, somewhat fascinated? Oh, maybe we always have been. And and maybe the providers of this type of material are starting to recognize it. But are we f- just fascinated with mystery? I mean, true co- crime is also very, very popular yeah. these days. It seems like anything that there's just an uncertainty to, uh, we seem to want to consume. Yeah, I, well, I think that's just human nature. We always want to know what's in the shadows. You know, the reason why true crime is so... 
uh, interesting to people because how could humans do that? Right. Right. So they so they watch this show and they try to figure out how calculating this this certain human could have been and why they would do such a thing. So. Um, and I think that's the same thing with the supernatural and, and the weird. It's just like, well, but I can't explain it, but I want to. Because as a human, I need to justify my own place in the universe. And if I can define that other thing, then that defines me. And a lot of what we're talking about here, a lot of these questions and these mysteries are things that um, are discussed and covered uh, on Gaia. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Gaia. Yes. Um, so Gaia is, we like to use this phrase, we are the um, Netflix of conscious programming. <laughs> <laughs> nice. so, so I'll give you a little spiel. So we have 8,000 titles. Um, we do acquire a lot of documentaries and everything from, uh, everything from actual yoga practices and meditation to uh, documentaries all the way to the spectrum of aliens and government conspiracy and everything in between. And then we also have original content that does the same thing. So the the idea that we are the, you know, quote-unquote Netflix of consciousness is basically saying that um, we're trying to cover anything that allows you to know more about things that aren't in the mainstream. And, of course, the uh, the, the um, Netflix of... of of the world, the Netflix of the world, uh, are really the way it's hard word to say are really the way that, um, you know, people are starting con- to consume their video entertainment. It's the streaming options that are growing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this whole cord cutting thing is a real phenomenon and the on demand stuff that you can stream anytime you want really seems to be the future of our, uh, our viewing appetite. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I agree. So we have everything that if, you know, uh, you know, there's still like, there's a lot of formats, that um, mainstream hasn't adapted, and I don't think they will because mainstream is about storytelling. And we have some of those elements, but for the most part, we have a lot of just educational stuff. So if you want to learn about things like galactic races or this person's 9-11 opinion, uh, the way that they say it isn't going to be completely edited like it would be in mainstream. Have you had any personal paranormal experiences, whether it's UFO or other? Um, I have not had a UFO experience. It's the first question everyone always asks me because I cover so much alien stuff. Um, but I have had strange supernatural experiences. I haven't really seen ghosts, but I've, I've had some strange experiences, especially in some of the ancient places that I've been where um, I can feel energies and I see weird things and... Um, I don't know how to explain it, but definitely some weird experiences. But I believe in all of that stuff. So I've kind of told the universe, I don't want to see a UFO landing in my yard. I do believe that they are out there. So please don't show up in my yard. <laughs> you don't need the proof in your front yard. I, I, don't, I don't need the proof, okay? I, 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 There's no need. I noticed that uh, speaking one of those mystical places that you've spent time, um, you've spent some time in Egypt. That must have been an amazing experience. That was pretty amazing. And I'm going back there to, to, to shoot, actually, next month. Um, and I, I got the experience of going to scout for the shoot, uh, which, of course, is much slower, so you get to really spend time in these places alone uh, and feel the energy and figure out, like, what I'm, you know, what's the story I'm going to tell here. Um, and we were accompanied by this Egyptian archaeologist who can read every single hieroglyph, which was amazing, because every room you would go, you're like, what happened here? And he would read the walls. He would show us exactly what ritual was performed and what, you know, uh, food they were eating and what they were drinking and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I did have some really strange experiences, just, just uh, like feelings of things that were there and then having like strange dreams for like weeks after. So, of, it, um, like, so there was an energy that, um, that you felt while you were there and it, it kind of um, it, in some way affected your psyche a little bit. Oh yeah, it it's um, it is weird. Like some of the places I went were were darker, and um, I could f- it was it was like I could feel like the hair like the little hairs in the back of my neck stand up. Yeah, and um, it, it's it's as if like it, it was it, it was there, like trying to like encompass me. <laughs> well. 
when, um, when, strange. when we get back from the break, we're going to talk about the Nazca mummies. We'll start that conversation. But since we're mm-hmm. talking about Egypt, often when you say the word mummy, you immediately think of Egyptian culture and, and ancient Egypt. Um, but they weren't the only culture that was uh, actually practicing mummification of corpses, right? No, of course not. There's 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 several uh, several places in South America that do the same thing. And when we uh, when we start talking about the Nazca mummies, um, we're also talking about an area of Peru that is known for a lot of other very very interesting uh, features that still are yet to be explained. And among those, I would say would be the Nazca lines. Hmm. So the area itself uh, has has plenty of um, interesting features and obviously has a very mystical connection. So um, before we go to the break here, and I know we're going to spend a great deal of time talking about the documentary and, and the mummies themselves, but where can people actually see this documentary? You can actually go to Gaia, which I was just explaining, and you can watch the full documentary. It's, it's a little bit over an hour. Um and uh, I think I think if you don't have a Gaia membership, I think it's like ninety nine cents to sign up for a month, and um, you can watch the documentary. Melissa, as we start talking about these mummies, for people that haven't heard this story at all, kind of lay it out for us. What happened? How were these things found? And what exactly are they? And this is all pre research. So just on the surface, what are we looking at? Um, you want me to start from the very beginning? Sure. Start from the very <laughs> beginning. That'd be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so the bodies were discovered by Wakeros in 2016. Wakero is basically a tomb raider, a grave robber. Um, and, uh, we, you know, we couldn't say that for a while because we actually weren't sure who they were, but, but um, the thing with, and this is illegal in Peru because um, they don't want people digging up dead bodies, right? They, they sure. want those people to be legitimately part of the Ministry of Culture. However, and, you know, by the way, Gaia doesn't condone this at all. I'll get to the point of how we found out about this. Um, however, um, there has been a lot of stories in history and some of the most famous finds have been found by these very same people that then sell them to archaeologists, and they go and check out the site, and then it becomes a massive site where they're able to find out more about history. Again, Guy is not condoning this, but this is how this all started. So these people uh, discovered this cave, um, and they... uh, they didn't kind of know what to do, but they knew that there was another, a French archaeologist in Cusco, and his name was Thierry Hamine. And he, um, I guess he had dealt with somebody from this team before. So they called him and they said, hey, we have this weird find. Would you like to take a look? He said, yes. Um, and then he didn't know what to make of it. And then he uh, contacted... Um, somebody that got a hold of us. And um, we didn't really know what to think about it anyway. I mean, could the, you know, we saw some pictures. We're like, could this be, could this be real? You know, I don't know. So we thought, well, let's, let's go check it out. Let's, uh, let's bring like one camera guy and, um, and just see what it is. That was basically it. Like, in fact, we didn't even think it was going to be anything. We just thought, Let's go check it out, and if it if it's something of interest, then we will pursue it. But I think um, Gaia's motto has ever has always been, you know, it, if it if it <laughs> we're not um, we want to just find out the truth about things, right? Meaning we want to dig deeper into things that other people won't. So if other people think that it's not real, well, we'll give it a try. And we'll look for ourselves. I mean, so that was kind of the whole deal. Yeah, your your objective at that point was to uncover the truth about these as best you could. Right, right. And and even if it meant that uh, somebody was doing a huge hoax and they wanted us to come down and take a look, like we wanted to say that too. Like it wasn't about oh, we just want to get something on camera. It was, it was basically like let's find out what it is. So um, we went down there, uh, and then we were we were show. We were shown um, two little bodies and then a big body, 
Uh, so they were given names um, without knowing the sex of them. But there was the two little bodies were were named Josephina and Albert. And uh, the in the big one, the other body was uh, almost like a human sized body. I think when it, I think they measured it, and I think it was maybe if it could stand up, it maybe be like five seven. And uh, this body was um, uh, kind of like in a fetal position. It was holding its knees. And in Peru, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of mummies that that have this position where they're holding their knees. But this this one was completely different. It wasn't in the traditional way um, that you would see other Peruvian mummies. And it looked completely different. It had three fingers and three toes, and the uh, skull was elongated, and the sockets were bigger, uh, the eye sockets were bigger. But everything else about the body, the actual torso, looked pretty normal. It looked like a human body. So, of course, there's a couple things that were red flags. So, there's this, the bodies were all covered in this white powder. So, what was that white powder? Number two, could somebody have just altered the fingers and the toes? Uh, and created and, and maybe put and made some kind of skull to uh, make it look elongated. Um, and so those were all those were all red flags. <clears throat> but it, it like even when you would you know when you're really close to this thing and you're analyzing it and you and you get to kind of poke it, it, it doesn't feel fake. <laughs> so we thought, okay, well let's just. Let's just get some x-rays. Let's get some x-rays uh, and see what we see and, and get some experts to look at the x-rays and, and tell us, is this, is this fake or is this biological? Uh, is, is, has there been any uh, altering of the fingers? You know, because you'll be able to tell that kind of stuff on x-rays. Sure. Um, and that's what we did. So we, we took some samples, uh, skin samples. There is actual skin that, that that is covering the bodies, uh, the small ones and the and this large one, and um, and then we actually and we took samples of the white powder because we wanted to find out what that was, and uh, the X-rays of course are immediate, so we were able to look at those, and then we brought them to uh, at, well, there was experts with us from. Um, from Russia and Mexico, and and then of course the uh, actual facility that we did it in in Cusco, uh, all of all of those people had comments on it. But then I took those X-rays to a um, radiologist in um, at the Denver University at the hospital there, and she she took a look and she couldn't find any place of altered bones, and the bones all had a signature of they were biological bones. They were not uh, made out of plastic. They were made out of some synthetic material because they would have had a different hue in the X-ray. Um, and so, I, so here we were at this point of what is it, right? That nobody seems to have any answers. There's lots of people on the Internet that I kept saying, oh, well, it's, you know, plaster of Paris right. because it's white powder. Um, or somebody made it, um, you know, it's somebody just put together a bunch of animal bones and, uh, you know, glued it all together. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I want to say that, uh, you know, I, as much as I, as we started off the show saying, you know, I've obviously had an affinity for things that could not be explained, but I'm not one to come out and say, uh, oh, it's definitely an alien, or this is definitely a werewolf, or, you know, I'm always the person who finds it interesting, tries to gather the facts, and then says, you know, what do you think, type of thing. I've never in my entire career have come out and said that something is something, and, and that's it, because that, to me, is not a journalist. So, Instead of saying, okay, all these people that have become now experts on the Internet could be wrong, I decided to do my due diligence and, and send it to places that do plaster of Paris, right? And I called them, and I sent them all the x-rays. Um, and at this point, we did CT scans, which even give it a more uh, in-depth look at the structure of the bodies and the bones and everything. Right. Um, and they said that you want us to make this? And I said, yes. 
how much does it cost and can you do it? And they said, but this is a real body. And I said, yeah, but, but can you do it? And they said, no. Mm. <laughs> and I said, okay, are you sure? Could you, could you make me a mold? Maybe. Nope. Um, and then I, uh, I just, you know, I wanted to see, I mean, could you really make skin out of melting a bunch of animal skin together? Could you, and, and then could you somehow take all those animal bones and glue them together and I called a taxidermist, and he thought I was crazy. And I'm like, no, for, for real, could you, could you melt all these, these animal skin together and then somehow make a skin on top of a body that you glued together a whole bunch of different animal bones? And they were like, no. No, that's impossible. I'm, I'm like, okay. Let me know if it works out. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know if you figure out how to do that. Uh, but, you know, I wasn't. It was funny because I couldn't really tell these people what I was asking for, you know, like why right. I was asking for it. I right. just literally sounded like a crazy person calling all these people <laughs> because I didn't want them to form an opinion. Right. Right. I didn't, I didn't want them to look up the, the Nazca story. I didn't want them to look at me. I wanted them to just answer like they would as an expert of their expertise. As you um, learn more about this, particularly uh, the very beginning when you learned of the discovery of these mummies, did you get information about uh, how they were being housed when they were found? What they what were they in? Were they in some kind of um, caskets or sarcophagus? Or uh, you know, do we know anything about how they were kept um, from you know the elements over the course of whatever it is fifteen hundred years? Um. Well. These are the things that are up for debate. Um, they were found in a cave. I'm not sure if the cave that they showed us is the right cave. Um, you know, there is a lot of, seems a lot of deception within this whole thing. And if you watch the documentary, you'll see it all. It's this, <laughs> this long journey of trying to find the answers because just like the, you know, archaeologists and um, anthropologists, they don't want to get involved because the actual location where they were found was not revealed, not only not to us, but, but so we couldn't like say, Hey, would you like to take a look? Because they don't want to put their hands on something that, that obviously didn't come from an origin because then the origin tells more about the body. Right. Right. So I totally understand that and respect that. And, and I also understand that, um, the Wakaros wanted to keep that a secret because they were making money off of it. So it's, it's, it was a sticky situation, but again, the idea was to find out the truth and to get it into the hands of the authorities in Peru and see what they wanted to do with it. Um, so the thing is, is, is that the powder on the outside of the body was tested and it came back as diatomaceous earth. I don't have that piece of paper in front of me right now. I can tell you exactly the mineral makeup, but the mineral makeup of that the diatomaceous earth match the mineral makeup of a certain area in Palpa. So I don't think that they're completely lying about where they found the bodies. I just don't know if the cave that they showed us is the actual cave where the bodies came from. But the test did come back as diatomaceous earth. And and so diatomaceous earth is uh, a dying off of, um, and someone's probably going to correct me, I believe, like, marine life that dries up in, 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 like, a sealed place, like a cave, and it actually preserves the body, and so that is what was covering all these bodies. Like, it, it literally dries out the skin. Um, and and uh, so, yeah, so, so there is some linkage to the area where they found it, was, was, which is Tulpa, and... Um, and that mineral makeup matched it. So that's kind of what, and of course, it's very dry there. I mean, there's, there's nothing green that grows in this, this very area. It is, it is completely bone dry. So it's a perfect place to preserve bodies. I mean, if you just, you were talking about Egypt in the beginning of this. Um, Egypt, like the Valley of the Kings, where, of course, there's all of these tombs, is a perfect place. It's very dry. It's the same kind of setup. There's not one green thing that's growing right there. Um, of course, they had extreme measures of preserving the body with ointments and that kind of thing. But but the 
but the preserving process was perfect. The temperature was perfect. The place was perfect. And where these bodies were found was also in that kind of temperature. How many of them were found in total? Uh, there was six. Six were bodies. Found. Were they all in the same condition? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So yes. they all and they all had the same um, powdery substance on their skin. All the same. When you first got mm-hmm. this information, you said you uh, took a cameraman, you took some folks, you went to Peru to check mm-hmm. this out. Did you intend on making a documentary film at that point? No. Mm-mm. I mean, we wanted to we wanted to see what you know. We just want to be prepared. Sure. Right. We wanted to see. We wanted to document what we were going down there for, which is to see what it was. But, but to be honest with you. I, I, and many other people on my team had no idea that we would be chasing this thing for like two years. <laughs> and that's what that's what it was, start to finish, from when you got the information to when you had the uh, the the film produced. Mm-hmm. It was a two yep. year process. Yep. Uh, as that two years unfolded, um, did you um, come to the point where you started to question maybe some of your beliefs as you started to learn more about these? figures and where they came from or where they potentially came from? Um, you know, I was very careful not to let my imagination run away with itself. You know, if, if these things were aliens, what does that mean? Did they crash land here? You know, all that stuff right. could be possible, but, um, but I, I, I just wouldn't let myself go there because I felt that then I was doing a disservice to the actual case because that's what I was on. Like eventually I realized, Oh, this is this, this thing. We're not quitting. We're going to, we're going to try to gather as much evidence as possible, make sure that it gets into the hands of the right people, the ministry of culture, um, the Peruvian government, and then they can finish the test in a secure lab. But um, I I just didn't want to go there. I, I think that it's very fantastical. I've covered lots of things like that, but but to be in it and to like to be able to touch these bodies and and be able to analyze them and and be in the mix of it, I thought if I just started thinking that they were aliens, um, I, I don't think that I would be able to do justice to the story. I wouldn't be able to look at it from a, a bigger lens. Yeah, it would it would influence the direction you took it. I'm sure if you had that preconceived idea um we we do have to go to break here but before we do you have a bunch of things going on where can people follow you maybe get more information about you and or obviously gaia for gaia you can go to gaia.com and you can watch first of all you can watch seven updates of Nazca for free but the documentary is behind the paywall gaia.com um and then for me my name melissa.tittle uh uh, com Sorry, MelissaTittle.com, which is my website. And then also, um, just a little plug, I just launched a podcast called Cosmic Cantina. You can learn about all of my weird journeys there. We're talking with Melissa Tittle, and we'll continue that conversation in just a moment. We're discussing the Nazca mummies. It's a subject of her documentary called Unearthing Nazca, The Complete Story. Before we do that, I just want to remind you what we've got coming up on the program the next couple of nights. Tomorrow night, Carl Schultz will be here. Carl is an actor and a tour guide for the Cry Innocent Project. He will explore the cultural implications of the Salem witch trials. And then Wednesday night's program, Wall Thornhill will be with us to talk about the universe. What if everything we think we know about the universe is wrong? He's one of the founders of the Electric Universe Theory, and he'll be presenting his easy-to-understand alternative view of the world and universe around us. That's Wednesday night's program. Telephone lines are open if you want to join our conversation at 844-687-7669. Melissa, we've been talking about these mummies that were unearthed and your effort to get some answers you know, as you mm-hmm. as you consider these things, I mean, if you, when you first saw them and you start to go through the possibilities, I mean, what are the possible options here? This could be an alien race, could be extraterrestrial in some fashion, could be some mm-hmm. kind of um, of uh, humanoid, uh, I guess, extinct 
human type creature or it could it could be some non-human extinct creature i mean what anything else go through your mind and what of each of those ideas did you uh, consider as you were looking at this i think i gravitated more towards the like a, a new species that we haven't been able to um add to the the human genome um, you know, because it, just recently we've discovered the Denisovan um, branch of DNA, right. uh, which is a, you know, an ancient human-like uh, creature. Um, but uh, so I guess for me, I gravitated more towards that uh, than anything else. I, you know, and I know there hasn't been any of these found in any parts of the world, but... Um, but it would be it'd be interesting to see once there's more DNA studies done, what linkage to the ancient human DNA could this uh, could these creatures be part of? And if that's true, um, where does that leave us? Is and, and where do, what is it connected to? I, that's where I kind of gravitated towards, only because um, again I really tried to stay grounded in this. I think that jumping to conclusions that it's an alien creature, um, I, I feel like I can't I can't get from A to B to C to D. I'm going from A to Z because it sounds cool. <laughs> you um, did you get an opportunity to meet the person or people that actually originally discovered them? Did you meet them in person? Um, I did not. They were elusive. The first trip um, that 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 we, they went down, I didn't go on the first trip. So the first trip was um, one producer and a camera guy. It was very small. It was a small a small gathering. Maybe there was like a couple other people, but um, and then I went on the second trip, and I never met. I never met the Wakaros at all. They were supposed to show up, of course, because I wanted to do an interview with them and then they disappeared. <laughs> do they are, are they in danger if they if they you know, show up publicly in that way of of encountering some kind of repercussions legally? I mean, is that a problem for them? Yes. Yeah. I definitely. Would... I, and they were definitely worried about that. I mean, not just because they didn't want to be on camera, which but just just that they didn't want anybody to trace their steps because that's illegal. Um uh, but like I said, like our main goal was, okay, well, they don't have to be involved. If we have the bodies, uh, we can get it to the authorities and they, they can take it from there. Um, but that was also a pretty interesting point of this whole thing was that, um, Terry, who I mentioned earlier, uh, the French archeologist, he had reached out to the, um, ministry of culture, wrote them a letter which is documented saying that we have these bodies. We would like you to come check them out or take them. And um, they wrote them off as fake and they didn't even want to investigate them. Without really any strange. information, just uh, just dis- dismissed yeah. it out of hand. Just dismissed it out of hand. Wow. And what's interesting about that whole thing is that um, before, uh, before the ministry could even answer, um, one of the Wakaros, did a YouTube video uh, showing a fake hand, which looked nothing like the ones that we were dealing with. I mean, it had three fingers, but, um, and so from there, the ministry of culture said they must be working together. It's all fake. We don't want anything to do with it. Wow. You got a chance to actually touch these mummies or at least one of them. Um, when you did that, Mm -hmm. did you get a sense that it was anything artificial about it? I mean, it feels it feels real. I mean, it feels like it feels like skin underneath it. It doesn't it doesn't feel like I'm dealing with a hard plastic thing. It, it felt um, it felt like skin. It felt like like a piece of a body. It did not feel like it was some fake doll or plaster of Paris or anything like that. Yeah, and, and as you look at these images, whether you're looking at stills or you're you're seeing the images in the documentary or other footage, um, you know you notice obviously the the fingers and the toes. There were three on each hand or foot, um, and they're very elongated. Uh, you know they don't look like human fingers at all, even though there's mm-hmm. only three. I mean they just they just look from from my distant perspective that they're you know elongated. Is that what you saw in person? Yes, um, and and if you if if anybody's actually because you can you can look at all this stuff online, 
all the x-rays and the CT scans, you'll notice that um, the bones are thicker. Like our phalanges are thinner and, uh, and you know, obviously, like you said, they're smaller. But, um, but these are like thick, they're just thicker bones. And they're, yes, they're much bigger than ours. And what about the facial, and, the facial features? No nose, not really, uh, no ears. Um, you know, did, did it look like there, there may have been uh, a nose and ears previously and maybe they uh, decomposed or something? Or how did you, what sense did you have of that? Yeah, so when they did the, so we, we had CT scans done, but then we got higher res CT scans. Um, so in the documentary, hopefully anybody listening can watch it, <laughs> um, that they, uh, we did get, finally the Peruvian government was like, okay, we will listen to your case. So they, they held a hearing. Um, and, and all of our evidence had to be brought there and they decided what they were going to do with the body. So before that, we paid for very high res scan CT, CT scan. And, and here you could, you could digitally slice through the bone and in the skin that's left and you can see everything. Right. Um, and, um, specifically when, I, when you're talking about the ears, there's, there's a complete, um, the, like their ears were working, they're like they're working ears. Just the earlobes are gone. So there definitely was a structure for um, within within the bigger creature. Now the smaller creatures, they have a totally different set of makeup in the in the head for for hearing. It was, it was a totally different uh, setup than human human ears. Were there any local legends or stories? These, I mean, th- those types of uh, things tend to provide a lot of, uh, even though somewhat anecdotal, uh, information when you research mm-hmm. things like this. Do you uncover anything like that that may have been tied to these creatures? We did find some petroglyphs uh, that had the beans with three fingers in the area of pulpa. Uh, and then we, and then there was also just some tapestries. Uh, you know, these are things I just never noticed before because I wasn't looking for three fingered beans. You think, well, maybe that was just easier for them to draw to put three fingers, but but it was it is a little strange that there, there is um, tapestries and drawings, and then these petroglyphs with beans with three fingers. And they're they're somewhat uh, common. Uh, you saw a bunch of those. Yes, um, I'm trying to picture. I think there was like a rug, and then there was some um, other kind of tapestry thing, and then there was the petroglyphs with the three fingers. Now, who were the main scientists involved in this project? Obviously, you were more of an observer and a, and a documentarian, mm-hmm. um, but there were some scientists involved that were conducting the real examinations. Who were they, and what kind of credentials did they have? Uh, well, Konstantin Korokov. Um, he's from Russia. Um, he's a, uh, biologist. Um, and then, uh, we had so many people, so I apologize. No, it's okay. It's a, it's a long list, I'm sure. Uh, we, yeah, we had a lot of uh, specialists, um, from Mexico that Jaime Musan had invited to come. He was also part of this journey as well. Um, yeah. he, in earlier, when Terry wasn't sure how to get a hold of certain people to check out the bodies. He, he contacted Jaime Musan. And Jaime brought um, a forensic specialist. He brought a biologist. Um, we, had a, we had a radiologist. We had a surgeon. Uh, so these are people that are, are definitely used to looking at bodies. You know, that wasn't just somebody who thought, okay, I want to go check it out. Like these people analyze bodies for a living. Um, and, uh, and then eventually we brought in, uh, Constantine brought, uh, Dmitry, um, Galetsky from Russia, who is a, also, I believe, I think he's a surgeon. I'm sorry. I can't remember, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but he's also in the documentary and he, um, and he analyzed the CT scans as well. All right, we have to go to break here in just a minute, but before we do, you did carbon dating, you did some aging of these um, age determination mm-hmm. of these mummies. What was how old are they? Were they uh, did they turn out to be? So Maria was the was the um, was the large was the large uh, was the large mummy, 
And she was between 245 and 410 A.D. Um, and then uh, Victoria was, uh, you know, six bodies, as I said before. So we weren't allowed to take samples from Josefina and Alberta because uh, uh, Terry didn't want us to. So there was another small body named Victoria, um, and that uh, the date carbon dating was 987 to 1145 AD. And those those tests um, were done independently, right? You you sent samples away for that to be done. Yes. So we went to we had samples going to Mexico. Uh, we had samples going to a university in Russia. And then we also had samples going to a genetic testing lab uh, and testing just and testing lab in um, Canada as well. And I don't know a lot about my carbon dating procedures, but um, I don't think it's something that's easily faked. No, definitely not. And of course, uh, all the tests were around the same age, so it. So if you're wondering what facility is better, I think that if you take three facilities that definitely do this for a living and you compare them and they're all the same, I mean, that's, that's, I think that that's, that seems correct. Melissa, when you've mentioned the uh, Peruvian, Peruvian government a few times here and they've, uh, they've been a bit of a hurdle in an effort to um, work on this particular project and probably many other projects, what's their motivation? Are they, are they, just do they do they not want to get to the truth on some of this, or is there something else motivating them? Uh, you know, um, I think that they're trying to protect their heritage. Uh, I did an interview with a woman from the Ministry of Culture, and and um, I think that they they don't want. I mean, obviously, a grave robber digging up pieces of their heritage and selling it. Yeah. To people in other countries is illegal because that's disgraceful to um, to their ancestors. So I think that that it's a lot of motivated of that. They don't want to support that. That's completely understandable. Um, you know, our our goal was never to to be involved in any of that. It was just you know from the beginning it was like okay, this belongs to them. Let's get it to them. This is yours. Take it. If it's, if you feel like it's fake, then you do the testing. And you um, and you make the announcement. So um, I think that that's really their motivation. And of course, just like in our country, there's bureaucracy and there's departments that don't communicate with each other, and they don't and they and they have to stand for something, and and that digs into the heels of of, of a belief system. And and um, that that's what I really think it is. Do I think that uh, there, there's some government conspiracy where they don't want the truth to come out? I'm sure there's people in that group that feel that way, but I, I feel like they're trying to protect their heritage, and of course there's bureaucracy. Who has you know? custody of these uh, mummies, both when you first arrived there and now? Is, is, is it, has, have they been in the same place? Well, the mummies before the government would take them, were in the hands of Terry. Uh, he kept them in a, a safe container, sealed container, um, an area. But, um, but now they are been, they've been admitted to the University of Ica, which is in Peru, um, and the bodies are now in an official place in a field area, and they are going to continue the testing, which is absolutely wonderful. That's kind and of what, we, and, and, that's kind of what ahead, you were hoping. For, that's kind of what you were hoping for all along, right? Right, right. So, it, in my in my opinion, it's a happy story. We are not involved, meaning um, we we would love to keep going there and filming what they're doing, but but it is completely their study. So. All right, well, we just wanted to get it into the right hands. Yeah, we have one more segment, and we'll uh, we'll we'll find out exactly where we ended up here with the documentary, and um, see if you've drawn any conclusions on any of this. And uh, Melissa, before we get back into that, tell us a little bit more about this podcast you just started. Sounds interesting. Oh, um, Cosmic Cantina. Um, so I, besides working at Gaia, like I have a lot of little sci-fi projects I do because uh, I like the space. Um, and so I invited two, um, two other sci-fi writers. And so we talk about all sorts of weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we don't have any guests right now. Like that's not our format. It's basically we pick a topic, we pick a news story uh, or a book 
and and we just dive into it. And and we all come from different perspectives of our own research and things that we've we we know about. So it's a pretty like in depth show in the space. If that helps anybody. Yeah, and how how often does it come out, and uh, where can people get a hold of that? Uh, you can. It's it comes out every week. I just launched last week, so we should be uh, airing a new episode tomorrow. So it launches every Tuesday. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify. It should be on iHeartRadio in about two weeks. As you uh, started to wrap up the filming of and the producing of this documentary, um, you must have reflected on the whole experience. And what did you personally find most intriguing about it all? I, um, this is going to sound so mushy, but, (laughs) and, and not, um, investigative journalist, but I think what I found really interesting is that at one point there's, we had the two scientists from Russia, we had the scientists from Mexico, we had a scientist from Peru. Um, we, we also brought, um, an American, uh, uh, molecular biologist and um, geneticist, uh, and we brought him, and and then we had this. We had an archaeologist from Spain, and, and at one point, even though we were all trying to argue on what was the best thing to do with these bodies, at one point we we had one goal. We were all working together to figure out what it was and get it into the hands of the authorities. Oh, and then the French archaeologist. So, what I'm trying to say is, we had a representation from all of these countries together. Uh, with one goal, and the goal was to figure out what it was and to get it to the the authorities. And and I think um, for me, and I know this has nothing to do with the, you know, what are the bodies, but for me that was a really important moment because it, it just goes to show that no matter if you can speak anybody's language uh, or you understand where they're coming from, it, people can come together and have one goal without literally understanding every word that everyone was saying. Did all of the scientists uh, and researchers that you had involved in the project leave the project feeling the same way about these bodies or was there, was there some um, disagreement? Um, No, I I feel like everybody was on the same page. I don't think that anybody was disagreeing with the findings at all because, you know, the findings weren't, you know, once data started coming out, it, it wasn't based on opinion at that point. Right. I mean, there's definitely some people in that group that immediately when they saw the bodies, they're like, if aliens, aliens are real, this is proof. I mean, it, but but that was an opinion. But but as far as all the data, I, everybody's on the same page. What do you think you about can't argue with that? You said earlier that you don't want a UFO landing on your front lawn, but I think you said, but you do believe that they they exist. What is your real mm-hmm. opinion about all of that? Do you believe that we're being visited? Um, put, take the mummies aside. Uh, do you believe that we're being okay. visited currently? And, um, I mean, it's a little easier to believe that it's out there somewhere. It's, it, it, you, you end up crossing some other lines to have to believe, or you have to cross those lines to believe that they might be visiting us now. Where do you fall on that? Well, I, did, I produced a show called Hangar One which uh, was a joint effort with MUFON, which is an organization that has been keeping uh, documented events of people reporting having UFO events since 1950. Um, I think it, it popped up right when Project Blue Book ended. And, you know, and, and even today I get all the reports every month of all the UFO sightings and weird things happening to people. Like there's so much stuff yeah. that it's hard to believe that millions of people across the world that don't know each other have similar stories. And even if they watch a movie, you can't tell me that all of these people are making things up. I mean, millions, millions of people. So to me, that is data and and some kind of proof that, yes, we are being visited by something. We recently had... I'm sorry. We recently had some video footage that was released by the U.S. Navy showing a tic-tac-shaped... Uh, object mm-hmm. doing some things that uh, would defy the physics that w- that w- at least the way we understand them and certainly beyond technology that we have. Um, I'm sure you've seen that footage uh, and you've also heard that the Navy has recently said, yes, these are legitimately un- unidentified. We cannot explain these, which is a major step forward for the U.S. military to uh, take that position on anything. What are your thoughts on all that? 
I think, um, well, I mean, let's back up a little bit. Before that, of April of this year, um, they came out with a story that said, uh, we are now creating a program for pilots to report UFOs safely. And then they said, but we're not going to share that with the public. So everyone was really excited and then disappointed because they thought this was definitely disclosure. Um, And then they they came up with these videos and they're like, oh, yep, they're real. They're UFOs. Uh, We don't know what they are. Um, And I think people were excited. They were like, this is it. This is real. This is disclosure. But nobody has come out afterwards that's a government official, you know, um, uh, like a, a president or any, you know, has come out and said, yep, UFOs are real. They've been here before. They've landed you know, they were in Roswell, whatever. Like, that hasn't happened. And and so I think it's a form of, of uh, desensitization. It's, it's like it's like most people that are really into that story already know that they're real, and they already feel that way. And, and they feel that it's justification, but then it fades. Like, what's happening now? Like, are they, are they doing a big press conference on the White House lawn? No. Right. So what's, what's going to happen now? I think that... People need to be smarter than the system, and I don't think they're trying to. I think they're. I don't think that they're. Um, well, there's some people that are always trying to hold other people back, but I feel that people need to uh, want disclosure. I think that they need to to be smarter than the system. They need to be ahead of the system because then the system follows what you believe. We recently had an incident where. I guess it was not necessarily an incident, but we had a situation where uh, a, a, a young guy uh, decided to put up a Facebook page that uh, was labeled something along the lines of Storm Area 51, they can't stop us all. And, and nearly three right. million people jumped on that uh, page. And many, many of them said they were going to show up and do this. And many also said they would they would be willing to give their lives for the effort. Uh it didn't materialize that way. They they were able to, I think, nip it in the bud. But just the fact that that many people jumped on this idea has to give you an indication of how uh, hungry people are for real answers. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that we are at a precipice as, as uh, a human race of trying to find answers for what defines humanity. We can't seem to agree on it. None of our laws make any sense. Uh, they're not. Um, none of our belief systems are matching with what's happening in the world, and everyone's questioning things. And I think looking to the sky for something external um, that might define, because there's a difference, might define humanity based on the fact that something is something else, uh, motivates people to find that answer. Um, I think that's one way of defining humanity. But I think I think um, the other way is is to look at us as a human race. But, but I think that the culture of being obsessed with finding out if UFOs are real is based on the fact that um, we're trying to define humanity. And I, I think it's increasing. But that doesn't mean they're not real. I think that that's true. I think that, that there, are, um, there are aliens. But, but I also think that the obsession is to define humanity. Recently, I think it was a NASA official uh, had made a comment because NASA is about to launch next summer a another probe to Mars in which this probe will be able to drill into the surface of Mars. And not that they expect to find life, but they figure if there was or is life on Mars of any kind, it'll be under the surface of uh, of you know the ground and they'll be able to determine whether that's there and one of the comments was that from this nasa scientist that he does not believe that people are ready to hear that there is life on other planets and in this case we're just talking about microbial life you know uh, small single cell maybe organisms that might be living Mm -hmm. in the soil of mars but nasa takes the attitude that we can't even handle that kind of information i thought that was a bit of a tip of the you know of the hand in the sense that uh, government policy might be that we can't handle this information um i think that nasa is always really careful they um they know that the people are always jumping on them to say you know they they said something about alien life <laughs> And, um, and they, and they don't, they have to really, they get government support. So it's like they can only release what the government wants to. Um, but I mean, I've worked with people at NASA, um, and, and they are always finding some kind of form of life, whether it's, 
you know, even if it's just like, like you said, small microbial type of stuff. Um, I just don't think that that's like a big, to me, it's not a big story. I think they're always finding that kind of stuff. I think that, I think that, um, I think that, um, I don't feel like people at NASA are trying to hold us back. Yeah. I feel that, that there's a bigger picture not revealing what could be on these planets from our past. Well, recently, uh, scientists here on Earth um, found uh, some forms of life deep within the Earth's <coughs> crust that they had didn't expect and certainly weren't prepared to find, but found it, which also invigorated the idea that uh, the, the same thing could be happening on other planets. And that's why there's so much anticipation for this uh, probe to go to Mars in 2020. It'll take about, uh, I think, about nine months for it to get there. Um, we're going to run out of time here quickly. Mm-hmm. I want to know what you think. Do you think these mummies that you have had a chance to touch, look at, uh, examine, see data, real scientific data and real scientific study of, do you think these mummies, first of all, are legitimately what they appear to be, and secondly, alien life form? Um, I don't. I do do not have proof that they're alien life form. However, I, I do think that they could be a new species. So having that's, having that's, said that, you ser- then you believe what we are seeing in these, you know, in our case, pictures, videos uh, are, mm-hmm. are are what they are represented as, and it is a, a life form that was mummified uh, fifteen hundred or so years ago, uh, and it's and they're legitimate. Yeah, I, I think that they are. They're all legitimate. I mean, we haven't been able to prove that they're not based right. on like all the the tissue and the bone and the DNA samples. It's all biological. What? It's just it's just more DNA samples need to be done to, to figure out where, like what biological link does it have. And when people go and they watch the documentary on Gaia, what do you hope they walk away with? What what do you want them to be thinking about it after they've watched it? I want them to come up with their own conclusion. I want them to see that that I think um, there's people that really want to just find answers and, and and things that don't look like things that we see every day do exist on this planet. I think that we're going to be finding more um, now that uh, the ice caps are melting and um, and people have better technology. I think we're going to find more weird stuff, and maybe that maybe that's able we're able to figure out what happened to our history on this planet. Now, these bodies aren't that old, um, and there hasn't been other ones that have been found in other places of the world, but, but, it, but maybe there was a deformity that happened. Uh, I think that um, it just, just walk away with the fact that there's so much stuff that we don't know on this planet and that we come up with these rules and these belief systems and then we think this is it, and then something challenges it and we get upset about it and we say it's fake. And there is a lot of fake stuff out there, but but that doesn't mean that it all is. And I think that um, the the deeper we go <clears throat> to explore that kind of concept, I think that the the more we'll get to understand about our own uh, existence on this planet. Obviously, there's a tremendous amount of, amount of material on Gaia that people can view, um, and you're always working on things. What's next on your agenda? What new projects are you working on? Well, um, like I said before, I'm going to go to Egypt to film a show with Graham Hancock. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure if he's been on your show, but he's he has written 25 books on all sorts of ancient uh, uh-huh. civilizations and cultures and places. And um, this is going to be kind of like his legacy tour, and it should it should be pretty epic. <laughs> yeah, certainly. He's 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 a, f- a fantastic guy. He's done a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so, you know, this has been a great discussion. Thank you so much for your time. Once again, I, I know we've said it a hundred times, but let people know where they can see and how they can see the documentary, um, how they can uh, follow more of your work, and um, anything else you want to let people know. Great. Well, let's start with Gaia, Gaia.com. Uh, like I said, there's seven updates you can watch um, that are free. And then the documentary, which is the whole story behind the scenes, uh, you know, what happened with the authorities, everything like that, that, um, that is on Gaia.com and you can go there and watch it right now. And for me, you can find more information on my website, MelissaTittle.com. 
And also um, check out my podcast, Cosmic Cantina, where we talk about lots of weird stuff and inside scoops on producing some of this material. Melissa, thank you so much for your time tonight. It's been a great discussion. All right. Thank you so much. Gaia has a lot of really great content, in fact. And just got to go online to Gaia.com. You'll find it all. It is a a pay streaming service. But if you're interested in uh, the discussion we had tonight or anything similar, you'll find a lot of uh, information and material there that you'll enjoy. And the documentary that we were talking about tonight is called Unearthing Nazca, The Complete Story. And it premiered. Now it's yesterday, October 7th, uh, is when that premiered on Gaia. Don't forget, tomorrow night, Carl Schultz will be with us. Carl is an actor and a tour guide for the Cry Innocent Project. We'll explore the cultural implications of the Salem witch trials. And then Wednesday, Wall Thornhill will be here. Wall wants to know, what if everything we think we know about the universe is wrong? He's one of the founders of the Electric Universe Theory, and he'll present his easy-to-understand alternative alternative view now i'm assuming uh orion that that wall is male yes <laughs> i've made that mistake before I'm, i i apologize yes uh, wallace wallace okay yes, oh yeah be joining you us say from... he was like new zealand or something australia australian yeah. okay yeah that'll be fun okay that's tomorrow night's program in the meantime uh, go to facebook like our page beyond reality radio also jv johnson on facebook and go to youtube and find the youtube channel it gives you an opportunity to watch a live stream of the program if you don't have a radio station carrying the show near you you can also see a bunch of back episodes i think there's like 375 or close to 400 back episodes on the youtube channel now many hours a lot of stuff there. A lot of great entertainment. Uh, and also, we have some special content there as well. It's all at uh, YouTube.com. Just search for J.V. Johnson or even Beyond Reality Radio will help you find that as well. All right, that's going to do it for tonight. Thanks again to Melissa. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.Taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.